the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Hope you had a great weekend. A lot happening, a lot happening, a lot of dots to connect, a lot of uh, eyes to dot uh, T's to cross, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we got a couple of great guests in a few moments. We will have, uh, Daniel Schmidt. Daniel Schmidt is a young fella who is at college at the University of Chicago. And he's just got, um, how to say chutzpah, chutzpah. That's the family way to say he's got stones. And so he is a very cool kid. He has asked a lot of questions on camera. You know, the technology is so good. He can jump up at the University of Chicago last fall. He put Liz Cheney on the spot. He showed how hypocritical she was, how, uh, how she was, um, saying one thing about one set of people, the January 6th defendants and another about a guy like Ray Epps. And uh, he put her on the spot and he just as he does it with a happy warrior mentality, Daniel Schmidt. You're going to want to check him out. Uh, he's a very cool kid and a really interesting interview coming up in a few moments. We also will talk with an author. Um, it, his book is called How Far Do You Want to Go? How Far Do You Want to Go? He is... Um, well, he's lessons from a common sense billionaire. Um, and he is not famous as an author, although he'll be well known. He's famous as a businessman. John Katsimatidis, Katsimatidis, Katsimatidis. He taught me how to say this in preparation for his interview. He's going to be with us. His book is very cool. Um, do you want, uh, excuse me, how far do you want to go, uh, about his, um, exploits, his successes and, um, how to keep going and make things better and get things done. So that'll be cool. All right. What do you need to know? Today's wink. Today's wink. What do you need to know? If you want to sign up, by the way, for the daily wink, uh, what you need to know, W Y N K, what you need to know, you can go to proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com, sign up there uh, for the daily email. It gets into your inbox at 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, tens of thousands of people have signed up to get an email every Every morning, Monday through Friday, from me, it gives you a couple of key links, a couple of key stories, and one nugget called what you need to, excuse me, what you need to know, the wink, and you'll get that in your inbox. So, and I'll tell you now, though, on this segment, the opening segment of the program, the Pro-America Report, I'll tell you what you need to know. And I'll put together, I'll pull together some pieces uh, that you haven't heard from the mainstream media, from the lamestream media. And here's one that is, I, I, this is so important. Because it will condition how you live the rest of your lives, the rest of your life. And that is this. Everywhere you go, God is watching. And so is a video camera. Now you say to yourself, oh, oh, Ed, but don't we have privacy? Don't we have privacy somewhere? Don't we have? You don't anymore. It's too bad. I wish it were different. But it is simply true that anywhere you go, someone will be able to watch you. Now, let me be clear. You might be able to walk down the block in, I don't know, midtown Manhattan or up on Capitol Hill or in St. Louis, South St. Louis, where I'm from. There may be a block 
where there's not a ring camera aimed out from the front door or where there's not a security camera on a parking lot. There may be uh, 100 yards, 200 yards, 500 yards. But in order to get from point A to point B, in order to get from your home to the corner store, the corner pub, to your parked car, wherever, there's going to be a camera that you're going to have to cross in front of. And therefore, if you have the will... You can be uh, you can be uh, you can be found. I said that terribly un- unevenly. Here's the wink. What you need to know is if someone has the will to find you, they will find you out based on cameras and the use of cameras. OK, that's just the facts in places like Washington, D.C. There's cameras that are watching you from above all over the place. It's a security thing. I mean, a national security thing, but it's also a it's also a deep state, a watch you security thing. But here's my point, And here's what you need to know. This is so important for you to understand. We are being regularly lied to about how things work. Here's an example. Remember how the Supreme Court had a leak? Someone leaked the documents. That uh, the, the draft opinion of the famous Dobbs decision, the abortion decision. And we've never gotten to the bottom of that because the corollary to everything you do can be watched is that we do know everything. We may not admit it. The powers that be may not admit it. But the corollary to the video, someone is always watching. They know who the leaker was at the Supreme Court They're They're just not saying. And if they're not saying or they're not getting to the bottom of it, that's a choice. That's a choice. Another example, the cocaine that was found in the White House. There's a way to decide if you have a will. There is a way to decide to find out whose drugs that was guaranteed. The point is, there's no will. Now, let me tie it together. Today's wink. Where there's a will, there's a way. It's true in modern times. God is watching. That's why you should be good. But also, Big Brother's watching. And if they want to, if there's a will, there is a way. The danger is that there is far too much will coming from the powers that be, whether institutional or formally government, or non-institutional, not formally government, but otherwise. And... Let's go January 6th. I've spent hours and hours and hours looking at the video of January 6th and stuff's missing. There's at two o'clock in the afternoon on January 6th from two to four, or I think it's maybe, maybe it's four to six on about 10 different cameras. Just missing. Just missing. Shut off. A couple of cameras just missing. This is not normal. And when you hear that we have seen all the video, we haven't seen all the video. There's body cam that hasn't been released by the Metro Police. There's private cameras. If there was a will, there's a way to get to the bottom of all the stuff that's going on. And let me be clear. I'm not actually saying we should always have the will to get to the bottom of everything. I don't want the intrusiveness of government, uh, the intrusiveness of, of big brother, the intrusiveness of, you know, big business big industry that could do this. I don't want that. What I'm saying to you is we're being lied to when someone says, oh, yeah, we can't figure out whose cocaine it was, how it got there. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's either a lie by uh, by commission. They know who it was and they're not telling you. Or it's a lie by omission, meaning they're going to admit 
uh, excuse me, omit looking for it. They're going to not have the will to go use the ways that they know to get to the bottom of it. And that's the facts. That's the facts. In some ways, it's scary times. In some ways, it's very scary times because your own foibles and failures will be used against you, and they'll be used against you like they've never been done before. You won't be able to act like a jerk in front of somebody and not have somebody record it. Now, hopefully you modify behavior that way, but here's where it gets interesting and a little bit scary is if it's true that you can't get away with it anymore, that's a lot of power. That's a lot of power. And the power is in the hands of people that may or may not be virtuous. That's what the reality of it that's going on is. That's, but don't be fooled about the scope and the, and the, uh, and the, the breadth of the power. It is profound. It is real. It is significant and it's likely to be abused. Now, when I say it's likely to be abused, my point is only that we've got to figure out, not put our head in the sands, but we've got to figure out how and when we're being lied to and what we can do about it. It's a little bit like what I think was the very best description of the election questions. When I was the chairman of the board of elections in St. Louis, I used to tell my team, my staff, I was the, I was the, uh, it wasn't my full-time job. I was the appointed chairman. There were uh, two Democrats and two Republicans on the board of election commissioners. We were in charge of running the elections. We were the check and balance, but we were the managers. We were the, the, the board of directors. So it wasn't our full-time job. We had full-time staff. But what I used to tell the full-time staff was you've got to make sure two things happen. A really good election. Well done, competent, uh, all the systems working. And two, people got to believe you. They have to believe that the system is working. If you don't have both, the system collapses. And the problem with too many of our systems in this country right now is we have leaders who are unwilling to make the system more transparent, more functional, more auditable, therefore more accountable, so people can have confidence. Don't tell me, trust you, trust you, trust you. After COVID and after the election messes and after my taxes, et cetera, et cetera, I'm not buying it. But back to my point, what you need to know is where there's a will, there's a way for almost everything. And we have to learn to, to, we have to see when they're lying to us and we have to fight through it and make things work. That's always been the role of we, the people. And that's what you need to know. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the pro America report back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, like always, off the air, I was just talking with our next guest, and uh, I wish I recorded these conversations because we were laughing. He was uh, teaching me how to say his name, Katsimatidis. John Katsimatidis, I won't tell you how he taught me to do it, but his book, which is really good and interesting, How Far Do You Want to Go, is the name of the book. Matt Holt Books, an imprint down there from in Texas, Ben Bella Books, How Far Do You Want to Go, Lessons from a Common Sense a Billionaire. Sir, welcome to the program. How are you? Well, thank you for having me on. And uh, boy, you got that name right. I mean, <laughs> from Jersey originally. So. I, got, I learned a few things. I, I could learn. I can learn fast. Hey, first of all, America is so exceptional. And your life and career, when you read this book, how far do you want to go? The title could have been 
only in America in the sense that if you want to take risks, if you want to be, you know, want to be someone who goes for it, you can do it in America. People forget that the reason people like you have spent a lot of your time. I, we were talking off the air. WABC, when I grew up, uh, was one of the great stations in, in New York. Uh, now you you bought it and you're rebuilding it. I know Roger Stone, my old friend, is on there on Sundays now. He's got his program. But but uh, America's from number 28. We took it up to the top one or two or three uh, right now in a whole East Coast area. Well, and 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 it's um it's a great signal, of course. I'm from St. Louis. I lived in St. Louis, as I was telling you, for uh, 25 years. And and the big five, uh, excuse me, KMOX is that same 50,000 watt signal that's like a clear channel. It just blows across the. So it's cool you're doing. All right, but John, I want to ask you. And, and again, uh, Katsimides is our Katsimides is our guest. He's uh, famous for having been a a grocer, having been an investor, having been a talk show host himself. But how come America is so special? Why is it worth worth fighting for? Because only in America, land of opportunity. Don't forget those words. Yeah. That, uh, immigrants are coming in from the 1800s, the 1900s. My two grandfathers came here in 1913. And guess what? They were looking for the streets paved with gold. And uh, some of them, it took a little bit longer to find the gold. But eventually, you know, I would say almost anybody that wanted to succeed, you're capable of succeeding in America. And you know who's buying my book? The people, the grandfathers, grandmothers, fathers, mothers, and they're giving it to their kids in hope that a few key words in that book will catch their eye and say, I want to make it too. When I grew up in Harlem on 135th Street, I remember uh, the first television show was I was looking at it was Burke's Law, and yeah. it was a detective named uh, uh, Burke, and he had a Rolls Royce. <laughs> and I said, "My God, I want to have a Rolls Royce someday too." <laughs> That's and, it. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's those key words, the key things that catch uh, uh, different kids at different ages, and makes them work harder and wanting to succeed. Um, John Katsimatidis is our guest and his uh, book, um, again, Matt Holt is the, a publisher. How far do you want to go? Um, uh, lessons from a common sense billionaire. Um, it reminds me when I read the book and especially I, I, I my reader, my listeners know I bounce around in books. So as I was going through this book and that reminded me of the old, um, the also a New Yorker, Norman Vincent Peale, the famous guy who did the power of positive thinking, like every every chapter in this book is you saying, look how something good can happen. And even when it's not all good things, in other words, you you, you keep you, your your mindset is always sort of whatever. Nowadays, they have these all these mindset experts and all that junk, but that, you know, you're going to make things work. What's the biggest fear you have when you look at where we are in this country? What, what is it that the young people don't have the a sense of what your book talks about? Is it that I the government is the so cute that it's smothering us? What are you what and, are you worried? What's your top of your list? The biggest fear I have right now is we're under attack in so many directions in our country and that Washington has a problem. Washington uh, is for sale sometimes and we're not watching out the, the places that we're under attack, our borders. I mean, you don't have why do anybody need passports? You just got to go, go down to the border and walk in right. the fentanyl problem. In the three major wars we had, Afghanistan, Korea, and Vietnam, less a uh, hundred thousand people have died. 
in in fentanyl the last 12 months 107,000 Americans have died in the last 12 months this is not a war I mean, give me a break. And our universities, somebody is paying off our universities and, and converting them to, 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 to a woke culture. I mean, Americans are starting to revolt. Look what happened to Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. Look what's going on with Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And, you know, if you want your stock to be worth half price, go out there and join the woke culture. That's what I tell American CEOs. Uh, again, our, our guest is, uh, John, John's, John Katsimatidis and, uh, his book, which I'll put up links on social media. I was finishing the book. It was interesting to me at the, at the very end of the book, the last chapter, you're talking about opportunities and, um, and you actually are talking about, uh, the, uh, uh WABC, the purchase and all. I guess, you know, one thing again that you would have been a, a, an observer of for these decades is the shift in the media. That you, when you started out, especially in grocery business, you had to, you sold to the you know, advertisements and newspapers. Now we got all this digital stuff. When you, you know, at a certain point, you're like, Hey, talks, talk, you know, talk radio became great. Now you look and you see all this social media stuff, which is a, you know, it's sort of the next generation. How, how worried are you about the power of the media? To, to sway our kids and ourselves to what's really going on. Well, if you read if you read the latest media on me, we didn't yeah. get a hold of <laughs> CNN. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because CNN, there's a purpose in them living, and even Ted Turner would be turning over right now the way they're running it. Yeah. And, and the fact is, CNN is available in 185 countries, and 185 countries is not getting the correct media. Right. So what does that mean? It hurts the whole, in the whole world, our country is being hurt because CNN is not delivering the the truth. And that's what we want. And don't forget, in in our book, you can buy, you can buy it at Barnes & Noble, you can buy it at at, uh, at Amazon, and you can also buy it on WABCradio.com, you get an autographed copy. And you know, hmm. if you get it from WABCradio.com with an autographed copy, when you finish reading it, you can sell it on eBay for twice as much. <laughs> that's, that's good. It's good business. By the way, I, my listeners know, uh, uh, John, I did a stint at CNN. I lasted, in fact, I called Roger Stone. You'll love this story right before CNN gave me an offer to become a contributor in 2017. I called Roger Stone. I said, Roger, what do you think I should do? He said, take the job and plan on getting fired. He said, it may take you a month. It may take you three months. It took me about four months and then I got fired by them because, uh, one of their people complained that I was, uh, you know, a, a bigot, a racist, everything else under the sun. So it's, tr- you're right about that. The question is whether you know i mean you're you're like the you're the one guy that is is still fighting in media when i look at radio for example salem when i'm on they are too they they're they're keeping conservative voices on but that's that's about it and like in new york they don't even try i mean these guys the 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 the, the, the things are so liberal as they breathe in in the in new york market i, I mean it feels the, daunting. Uh, well the american people are revolting right now look at the price of disney stock it went from 180 down to 90. Look at the look what happened to Anheuser Busch. Look what's happening to Target. Look what's happening to Unilever because they own Ben and Jerry's. The American people are saying enough is enough. Because all you see on television is all these picketers. You know where those picketers come from? The ones that don't have jobs and have nothing else to do, and somebody gives them a hundred bucks a piece to go picket. Yeah. 
It is. Uh, it is amazing. Uh, it is amazing. All right. So uh, last last stop. Uh, uh, give it a little pitch again. I got about a minute left on the book. Um, on the book. If you read page 255, it gives you the secrets of success. You know, I remember the number one is if you're afraid, if you're afraid of uh, uh, of losing, don't go into business. Hmm. You know? Yep. Yep. And, there it is. I got I got I'm looking at it. Sorry. Yep. I will. What does it say? What does it exactly say? You can't win if you're too afraid of losing. That's the first That's one. It. That's it. Yep. And the other, and the other 14 or 15 of them. And it, it gives grandfathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, fathers, buy it for your kids. And guess what? You might make a difference in their lives. The last line of that is uh, dedicate to the last two, 15 and 16, dedicate everything to the people you love the most. And then the last one, number 16, which everybody will say about you uh, again, John Katsimatidis says our, as our guest is have fun, have fun. So uh, we got to run though. I'm out of time. So we will put it up on social media. Thank you for what you're doing you. and we'll have you back on again. God bless. And Martin, we'll catch up with you soon. Okay. Uh, John Katsimatidis there, and I'll put it up on social media. Awesome. What a uh, incredible – I, I could talk to that guy for uh, uh, 20 hours instead of a 10-minute segment. We'll take a break, though. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, one of my favorite things, especially about Twitter, uh, but is seeing people who are um, doing things that I find interesting. Sometimes they're taking risks. Sometimes they're making arguments and then being able to reach out and and uh, and contact them. And I'd say like, I don't know, uh, three out of uh uh, well, let me see here. Let me think about this. Probably three out of 10 times people are able to be reached. It looks like they can. You can either tweet at them or send a direct message. And uh, but but uh, a lot of times they're not. But as long as you don't mind that, uh, I just I just go ahead. So he- here's the uh, here's one of those people. There's a guy named Daniel Schmidt. And Daniel Schmidt is a student. He is uh, at the University of Chicago. I noticed him. I think it was last fall when he first po- posted a um, video. Uh, he's been on Tucker's show. Uh, I don't know if he's been on Tucker's show or been on the Tucker's um, uh, whatever it was called Fox Nation show. I can't remember. But anyway, he's an interesting guy with a lot of interesting ideas. And I direct message him and said, hey, let's talk. And here he is. So, Daniel Schmidt, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Now, I, it looks like uh, when I see you. So I saw this question you asked of Liz Cheney. I think it was last fall. Before we get to the question, the next guy, I think it was a guy who asked the question, basically apologized to Liz Cheney and said, oh, that's just Daniel Schmidt. Yeah, uh-huh. You know, he's he's what are, are you like I get this point. Are you um, I know you're well known on campus. Are you University of Chicago's got plenty of conservatives, I think. Are you uh, poorly treated? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say poorly treated. You know, surprisingly, I've never actually had like a negative uh, face-to-face interaction. You know, usually the students, like in that case you brought up, they'll say all the stuff when I'm not even there or they'll say the stuff on social media, but they'll never say anything to my face. Um, and I think there are probably several reasons for that. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned, yeah, there are a lot of, I would say, economic conservatives at my school, you know, people who follow the footsteps of like Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell. But I will say there aren't really many who are willing to speak up, who are willing to fight back. In fact, I've sort of for the two years I've been in college, I've pretty much been the only one, if not one of the only ones, which I'm totally fine with. But one of the things I'm trying to really encourage with my Twitter account and my activism is I want to inspire other students who feel like me, who think like me at 
all schools across the country to say something, to do something, because as I've discovered, your voice is more powerful than you think, especially when it comes to fighting back against the university administrations. They're actually a lot more fragile than you think, and you can actually achieve a lot. Um, but as the poorly treated, you know, it's typical gossip. It, it, it is what it is. It's actually kind of fun. I don't, I don't mind it too much. Um, you know, unless someone starts punching me or something, then, you know, that'll be <laughs> yeah, different. that's a little, uh, that's a as, little different. As of, as of right now, it's a lot of, um, behind my back sort of stuff, which, you know, as it is, you know, that's expected at a school like this, which is, you know, it's, it's a, it's an American college. So you kind of have to expect. Yeah. Stuff. Uh, our guest is Daniel Schmidt. He's a, a rising junior. They call it going to be a junior this year at the university of Chicago at real D Schmidt on Twitter. I'll put it up on social media. Uh, yeah, I, I get, I get you on that. I mean, I, you're pretty good at this, meaning you're, you're pretty good at communicating. And so obviously you have the confidence to do it. Um, I, I, the question I wonder is, is it contagious? And by that, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, are you, do you have a, a, a crew now of people, people that say, Hey, I want to do what you're doing. It's one thing to have people that say, Hey, good job, Daniel. We're appreciated. Keep going. It's another to have people say, let me do that too. Uh, and you know, I, I'll be honest. Sometimes there's these organizations like, uh, Turning Point USA. They like to get together and they do raise their voice well. It's important, but they tend to do it as a group, you know, together. And the guy that stands up like you did when Liz Cheney is on campus and asks her a question, knowing that, 99% of the room is not going to like the angle of your question. It takes a certain kind of um, chutzpah. So are there more people getting that? Do you see some more confidence that way? Yeah, well, it's actually really interesting. So last week, the New York Times wrote an article about me. It was pretty much a hit piece. It got a lot of attention. Uh, and I tweeted about it. It got 2 million views. Elon Musk replied. So a big deal. And after that, within the next 24 hours, I got actually a lot of DMs, direct messages from Ivy League students, surprisingly. And a lot of them were saying, hey, listen, I'm seeing the same stuff you're you're seeing. I want to do something about it. You have essentially shown me that it's possible that you can have an impact. And so, you know, that is my hope. My hope is students start rising up. And as you mentioned, yeah, you know, there are organizations like Turning Point. But as you mentioned, it's more of a collective effort. You know, you don't really know any individuals there. But I firmly believe you only need one or two people who are brave, dedicated, passionate, and you can, you know, you can have make a difference on campus. So that's, that's my hope with my Twitter account is I want to inspire other students. Um, you know, just to sort of give you a summary, my first, uh, my first month in college, I couldn't participate in a debate tournament because I was white. And this was like a total shocker, right? I've heard colleges are crazy, but I experienced it in real time. And, you know, instantly I was like, you know what? People deserve to know about this. So I wrote an article about it. I brought awareness to it. And in the following year, the debate tournament didn't happen. So I consider that to be a small win. Also, my university had a policy that banned unvaccinated students from dining halls. And I'm one of these unvaccinated students. So that was also something that I was really... Uh, just disturbed by and I pressed the university I brought awareness to it and they reversed the policy so those are two things I I like to bring up to show listen you can be a single voice and if you're dedicated if you care enough about this you can actually make a difference because number one universities they don't want negative PR so when there's a story about a policy banning unvaxxed students from a dining hall that's just going to open up the gateways for a ton of negative emails which universities do not want and, you know, a lot of this stuff just goes unnoticed and you only know about it if you're a student. And so, again, if there are any students listening to this, really just just want to encourage you to fight back if you can, because you would be surprised how far you can actually go. Uh, Daniel Schmidt is our guest. Um, you should write a book, by the way, or should at least I hope you're getting a ha- habit at University of Chicago. You probably are getting a habit of uh, writing. It's uh, powerful for you. But I, I don't want to run out of time. Um, in the last couple of weeks. 
you were writing about it may have been you may have occurred earlier in the year i think it did um there was a course the problem of whiteness um and you noticed this you wrote about it you basically um exposed it and then what happened yeah so a few days afterward um the professor called me a cyber terrorist and she said my tweets may inspire a school shooter essentially she basically was saying that i'm going to encourage violence because i brought awareness and then she filed two separate complaints to get me expelled and i have to commend my you know i have to commend you chicago they denied both of those requests i don't know if other schools would have denied it i think they may have accepted it uh, you Chicago cares about free speech to a greater extent than other schools do. So I really appreciate that. And then, so she tried to get me expelled that failed. And then the New York times wrote an article about it, essentially calling me a cyber bully and that got a lot of attention. And yeah, so I've been, I've been battling this professor for a while now. Um, and it's been pretty nasty, but fortunately I've succeeded, which again, I can't say, uh, what would happen at many other schools. So I'm fortunate that you Chicago actually seems to protect free speech. Um, again, Daniel Schmidt, and 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 I think they're not teaching the course, right? Did they change the course, or what did they uh, do? So they, they, yeah, so they temporarily canceled it. They ended up teaching <laughs> until, in, the, in the spring until, yeah. until you graduate. <laughs> They'll stop until you graduate. Like, yeah, Daniel exactly. Schmidt's gone. We could do. It. All right, back for one second. You've been you've you've been a lot of places now. I'm I, I'm only sort of half teasing you. You know, you're you're a college uh, junior, but you've you've been on uh, you know Tucker. Uh, you've been on Jesse uh, Waters show. You've been on, on lots of different things. So you've been around a little bit now, but. Back to that Liz Cheney interview when you when you asked her the question and all, I, what what, do you, what did you think of her? How did you come away from right. that interaction? Yes, yeah, so I asked her about Ray Epps. I asked her, who I'm assuming you're, you're, you're yeah, of course, well, yeah, right? yeah, okay. yeah, oh, yeah, oh, amazing, yeah. yeah. So I asked her. I said, "Do you are are you willing to say on the record that you demand the prosecution of Ray Epps?" And she totally dismissed my question. She called it a conspiracy theory. And this was when she was still in Congress. So she's still at power. And I mean, I just looked at her and I realized this is a woman who just is totally dishonest. Everyone in the audience is laughing. You know, when I asked that question, they started booing. All these students were booing at me. And I'm like, you know, think about it. Students used to be rebellious back in the 60s. At least that's what I'm, I've been told is, you know, they used to go against the ruling class. They used to detest these, you know, establishment politicians. I mean, Liz Cheney, come on. It can't get any more establishment than that. And I see all these students, they're applauding her. And as you mentioned, after I asked her this question, a student literally apologized to her for my quote behavior and said, quote, I am the worst this campus has to offer. So, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow, this is what you get for asking a question to a politician. You get called the worst thing this campus has to offer. So, you know, um, it just, and again, if she can't even answer a question from a college kid, I, I'm like, well, I'm not surprised she's as corrupt and as just negligent as she is. But, um, well, I won't. I, I, yeah, I won't go into it, Danielle. I, I, I'll read it on another part because I'm out of time with you. But I, I transcribed your, your her answer to you, and it's just word salad. It's just word Absolutely. salad nonsense. I mean, it's just and, and you read it, and and then she makes this sort of she lectures you and says like, oh, you have to understand the difference between what we're doing and prosecution. Well, <laughs> it's pretty clear to most Americans that what the select committee was doing when they were done, they boxed up all their stuff and right. and sealed it in the National Archives so no one can look at it. I, I don't. It's not exactly profiles encouraged, but uh, yeah. All right. Uh, unfortunately, I'm out of time. Daniel Schmidt. Hey, thanks for being out there. I, I, I can encourage you in your leadership. Daniel Schmidt over at University of Chicago. Keep going and we'll have you back again soon. Thanks so much. Have a good right. day. Oh, you too. And I'll put up on social media links to his uh, uh, his Twitter feed and otherwise. We'll take a break. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Promark Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. 
When the leftist mob calls Daniel Penny a vigilante, instead of a good Samaritan for restraining a violent man on the subway who is threatening passengers, it undermines the rule of law that's necessary to attain justice. If there's a rush to prejudge or find a scapegoat every time someone on drugs dies while being restrained, then self-defense will no longer be safely available to anyone. But after days of street protests demanding that Penny be prosecuted for murder, the New York City medical examiner announced that the death was a homicide and that it was caused by compression of neck chokehold. District Attorney Alvin Bragg, famous for his political indictment of Donald Trump over non-crimes, mollified the leftist protesters by charging Penny with manslaughter. There's been an outpouring of support for this hero, but the jury pool in New York City is not representative of the rest of the country. The failure of both the DA Bragg and the medical examiner to await the results of the toxicology reports proves that politics, not medical science, is the driving force behind the manslaughter charge. It's very reminiscent of the George Floyd case. The fake medical science in the first jury trial in the Floyd case included a prosecution witness who bizarrely invited jurors to grab their own necks as though that would prove anything scientific about the cause of death in a criminal suspect who was intoxicated by an illegal drug. Imagine a similar stunt if Penny goes to trial in a hostile venue like New York City. There are 100,000 unexpected deaths caused annually by illegal drugs in the United States, which is more than double the number of gun homicides. Inevitably, some drug-related deaths will occur while an erratic, intoxicated person is being restrained. Prosecutions should be conducted based on reasonable evidence, not on leftist outrage. Rule by the mob is exactly what our founding fathers sought to avoid which is why so much of our Bill of Rights is dedicated to protecting those who have been accused of wrongdoing. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. It's no secret that globalists are bent on destroying Western culture. Whether the threat comes from inside or outside our borders, America must be protected from cultural Marxism and those who would deny American sovereignty. We're seeking your insight at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Here is the uh, the news that came out on Friday. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it was announced Friday uh, was that um, the D.C. bar, the District of Columbia bar um, is... Um, recommending well no well i guess they they delivered a ruling and the ruling says that rudy giuliani who's a member of the dc bar um should be disbarred in other words he should lose his law license for practicing law in the district of columbia now let me first set this up because a lot of people don't even realize and welcome back to the pro america report i'm ed martin and you know just just to be a basic primer for people when you get your law license, you get it state by state. So you go to California and you say, I'm going to sit for the bar exam. You sit for it. You pass it. You get the bar, your bar license. Every year you renew your bar license. You have certain requirements um, and you keep it. Or Missouri, where I'm a member of the bar. D.C. is uh, has a bar, District of Columbia. So there are 50 state bars. There are uh, District of Columbia. I assume there's a, a Puerto Rico, uh, a Commonwealth. Maybe there's a Guam one. Every jurisdiction 
can have a certain way to uh, create a license for lawyers to practice. That's what the bar is, the the legal profession. And there is no federal bar. You do have to um, be licensed in a jurisdiction and then apply to practice in the federal courts. But it's the, the licensure, being a member of the bar and having a license comes state by state and including the District of Columbia. So Rudy Giuliani has a DC bar license. So do I actually. And that allows you to practice in the state, in the state or in, the, in this case, the District of Columbia. So they recommended that he be disbarred. And the story is the disciplinary committee. So what happens is let's say that you are um, uh, practicing law in, I don't know, let's pick a state, Arkansas, and you're practicing law in Arkansas and you get convicted of fraud. And the fraud is for, say, money, money laundering or something. And then you get a complaint filed against you because someone says, hey, here's um, this conviction and here's a complaint. Uh, I file a, an ethics complaint, a bar complaint, and you shouldn't let this guy practice law. He shouldn't hold himself out as a lawyer. And then you get uh, a, a hearing uh, and you get a process and you get disbarred or you get drunk driving, or you get multiple uh, infractions, or you fail to keep up with the rules of your license and you get disbarred, or you get your license suspended. Generally, the bar is policing itself and is pretty um, lenient on the members. They say, you know, well, if you had a, a DWI, you'd get a chance to fix it. You get to rehab or something. If you had a a problem with your uh, say you had bankruptcy, you'd get a chance to fix it. At a certain point, though, you would be disbarred as a way to signal to people, don't use this person as holding himself out or herself out as a lawyer. What's happened now in this country is that the licensing of a lawyer like Rudy Giuliani is being used as a way to punish them for opinions that people don't like. Because what Rudy Giuliani was effectively accused of is having an opinion about the 2020 election. His opinion, legal opinion, was that there was lots of things to challenge and therefore that you should challenge them and that you should not give up until you've challenged them. Now, you don't even have to agree with Rudy Giuliani. I happen to think, and I didn't see everything he saw, but I happen to think he had a point, but you don't even have to agree just to understand that the system is supposed to allow its lawyers you know, it's it's lawyers to go and and come up with the arguments and say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Here's an idea. In fact, if you're a, if you're a, a, a um, if you're a client, you pay your lawyer to come up with all the possible scenarios and the lawyer may come to you and say, look. We've got this theory of the case. You know, you were in a contract with so-and-so, and we don't think, you know, we know that the, the contract said that X should happen and you should pay Y. Well, we don't think you should pay Y because X didn't happen exactly like they said. But the contract doesn't have all the details in it that we're relying on. So we're going to have to try to make this argument. And we, you know, we might lose. In fact, it's a long shot, but you can make this argument. You have a colorable claim. You have a colorable claim, meaning you have the right to make the argument, even though it's a long shot. That's the system. The system is that you there are experts who are lawyers who understand the system and they say, hey, this is a long shot, but this is how you should argue it. This is the possibilities. If you make it so that you're going to penalize every lawyer who comes up with a long shot, you're going to really limit the way law is practiced. In a very not good way, in a way that is not a positive development. 
So you you are seeing now lawfare expand and extend to the practice of law. And you're seeing it with Rudy Giuliani. You're seeing it with Sidney Powell. You're seeing it with Jeff Clark. And here's the thing. The opinion that is being for which they're being punished is one that I'm pretty sure in other cycles, other people have made. In other words, in 2018 or 2016, 2016 is a better example. There were plenty of lawyers in, in, in Hillary Clinton's camp. Some of them were in Congress who were saying, oh, no, no, don't concede. You know, this was a, not a fair election. Don't do it. Don't give up. Don't fight. There was something wrong. It's extraordinary to me that we are watching and, and watching lawyers, judges and lawyers and people that are in the system who are, are, are deciding that they're going to uh, allow and they're going to advocate for Rudy Giuliani and others to be penalized for the opinions they have, their opinions in, in a situation where you totally want and expect the lawyers to make complicated arguments that are edgy and cutting edge to try to keep their advocacy strong. It shouldn't be criminalized. You might not hire him, by the way. You might say, hey, that's a very bad, that's, that's a, too much of a long shot. And therefore, that guy's not worth hiring. He's got bad judgment, but not disbar him. Crazy. All right, we got to run out of time. Thank you, Noah Dingley, our producer, Ryan Hyde, our associate producer, Ryan Hyde, for filling in yesterday, too. We'll be back tomorrow. Well, actually, we'll be back. <laughs> Sorry. Have a great weekend. Next week, Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.